Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. The Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenge is on now. Register at longestday.org.nz. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Good morning, New Zealand. 9.03 here on SENZ. Ian Smith with you as we get through to midday today. The next three hours are very full indeed as we talk to Tony Brown. Of course, uh, the Highlanders coach, uh, a bit of around the houses actually as we get uh, ready for Super Rugby. It's uh, not too far away. Preseason games, what's in store for the Highlanders? How's the squad looking, etc., etc. We'll check in with uh, downtown Tony Brown very shortly. Fred de Jong, uh, of course, former All-White and uh, uh, really well-renowned commentator as well. The All-Whites uh, have another game uh, today, I think, is it, or is it tomorrow? It's, it's anyway to Uzbekistan. And um, they uh, have got to make some changes. It's the last outing, actually, before those World Cup qualifiers. So very important. Just after 10 o'clock, we hope to speak to the CEO of New Zealand Olympic Committee and Kieran Smith, of course, because the Winter Olympics are just days away and it's shaping up to be one of our most successful ever. How excited are they? And uh, all the contingencies around that. Patrick McKenzie will be part of the panel. Hopefully Sam Hield as well. Uh, we'll confirm that as, uh, as the morning goes on. Louis Herman White just before 11 uh, Jared Cronin uh, will give a wrap on uh, yesterday's NFL. It was fantastic to watch. The last two or three weeks of NFL action have been the best. Uh, we'll have a quiz uh, around about 11.30, a Mount Rushmore again because it's Tuesday. We'll give you the subject for that very shortly. Uh, yeah, all in all, uh, quite busy. Should fly. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, Tuesday is traditionally the toughest sermon days. Hard to find a topic. Mondays are fine. Something always happens over the weekend, brilliance, controversy, somebody or something either really pleases you or gets up your nose or both. Kyrgios's petulance and disrespect for tennis and people in general has been done to death. Between he and Medvedev, their treatment of officials and crowds was a disgrace. I mean, when you're whinging about the ball kids, what the hell is left? Cricket should be high on the agenda. I mean, it is the season after all and the Black Caps should be in Australia in a highly entertaining, high-rating white ball series. They couldn't go because they couldn't come home. Uh, mull that over for a second. Our world champion, highly successful, highly popular cricket team is not allowed to come home if they dare to respect, uh, respect us and represent us just across the water. Work that out. To be honest, I'm much more peeved off about that than I am about, you know what, that happened 41 years ago today on that vast expanse known as the MCG. It's still big outside defence, monumental in fact, but it's decreasing by the yard inside as they des- the desire for big hitting and big numbers keeps increasing. Bring the ropes in and make it easier. Real men played back then. Hit it over the fence for the maximum. Then hit it over again and again, Lance, and again. As for you, McKechnie, you didn't even try. What the hell were you thinking? And 40 years, 41 years on, we are now debating whether four wickets in a row is a double hat-trick or just four wickets in a row. I mean, like, 
four wickets and four balls by the same bowler. So if a double hat-trick is four, or a triple hat-trick is five, and six, well, that must be a quadruple hat-trick. And if you're the last victim of a quadruple hat-trick, you must have a very average batting team, and you should all try lawn bowls. And why, why, on this day every year, do I bloody well think about lawn bowls? I told you Tuesdays were a tough act to get together. It's a tough sermon on a Tuesday. Well, Super Rugby isn't far away now with pre-season games kicking off this week. The Farmlands Cup will be on the line this Friday in Western just inland from Omaru when the Highlanders take on the Crusaders uh, behind closed doors, unfortunately, and how often are we saying that lately? But we're joined now by Highlanders head coach Tony Brown. Uh, morning, Brownie. Disappointing the fans get, uh, can't attend this weekend, but uh, at least from a coaching point of view, you'll be able to get something out of it. Yeah, morning, Smithy. It's yeah, very disappointing. Um, There's going to be a hell of a night in Western on Friday night with Dave Dobbin uh, leading the charge there, and it would have been uh, very entertaining. Um, apart from that, I, I, I led to believe the game against Moana Pacifica has been cancelled as well. So are you able to um, replace that game? I mean, you're running out of opportunities, aren't you? Yeah, well, that game still potentially might be on. It's just the location of that game um, still a bit up in the air. So we're hoping to find a, find a ground somewhere that uh, we both can get to and have a bit of a hit out. Okay, let's uh, look at where you're, uh, you feel you're at at the moment. Um, obviously, you've been uh, training in-house, etc., and under all sorts of protocols, but uh, on the park, on the training park, how, how are you looking? Yeah, we've had a pretty good pre-season. Um, the boys came in in a little bit better condition than the previous year, which is always, always good for a coach, so we can um, move on to sort of looking at our footy a bit more and working on our games, so not having to get them fit. But, uh, you know, we've had a good three weeks and we're probably ready for a bit of a head out to see where we're at. The guys uh, actually played a bit longer, didn't they? Those guys that went to the playoffs and uh, their respective, um, you know, NPC competitions as such, the Bunnings, whatever, they actually this season went longer. So the gap uh, between there and uh, you getting hold of them must have been quite a bit shorter. Yeah, it was a bit shorter and... Um, and also there's a few guys that came in pre-Christmas um, as well, which, you know, helped us get them into shape and sort of get the get them understanding what it's about at sort of super rugby level. So and then everyone went away and, and then came and obviously did a bit of training and came back in pretty good condition. Reports are coming through that all five New Zealand teams and Moana Pacific uh, may have to be based in a bubble in Queenstown during these red light settings. Uh, I suppose that wouldn't be terrible news, being uh, that's your, it's, you're the closest to Queenstown, but um, be different getting away, uh, playing in that kind of environment, getting away from your traditional stadiums. Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, pretty hard on on all the teams, really. Um, having to operate in a bubble. don't know how many training grounds there are in Queenstown, but I'm pretty sure there's not six, so... Um, sorting all those logistics out and also around the opportunities to use the gym around uh, conditioning the boys. I don't know how many gyms there are in Queenstown, but 
Um, all those issues are yet to be sort of worked out around logistics and, and things like that. So we'll wait wait to see what the what the bosses say, and uh, we'll we'll just truck on like like we normally do, or whatever comes our way. You'll be first choice, mate. You get first choice, surely. I mean, you're closest to home. Oh, it's your ground. I would have thought so, Snowy. I would have thought so, but, you know, it tends to sort of be led sort of Crusaders way and then goes to the Blues then the Chiefs, Hurricanes, and probably then we sort of get the last last of the go. Good God, you might be training in the car park at the Ridges or something. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> but um, <laughs> hey, look, we'll see um, what happens, mate. We'll see what happens. We probably... Probably could, uh, you know, pull a little bit of local uh, knowledge and, and sort something out. Got a couple of secrets that other teams don't know about. Oh, well, you can, I think no, I think at the very least you'd be staying at the Millbrook Resort, very least. But however, um, well, that's right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's look at the second half of the competition because that's mooted, uh, Brownie, That uh, it could be um, based uh, in the east coast of Australia. Uh, have you been uh, enlightened into any of that, or is that just speculation at the moment? No, everything's speculation. Um, you know, what happened yesterday is going to change today, um, and the decisions today will probably change tomorrow. So I don't think anyone really has any idea around how it's going to operate. Um, but when the guys who make those decisions pull the trigger, then we just got to get into it. And if that's a bubble in Queenstown for the first half of the comp, then that's what it is. And then... If we're not able to travel without MI queuing, then um, we're probably going to have to go to Aussie and live in a bubble over there as well. So it's it's bloody tough. But um, if we want to sort of play rugby, get this comp done, and obviously the biggest part of that is the players need to get paid. So um, we've got to get the games in. Okay, so no Ash Dixon uh, this uh, time around because, of course, he's... Uh Gone to Japan. So, um, who's replacing that that kind of leadership, uh, that kind of mentor role that Ash was providing for you? Yeah, we've, um, you know, he's probably irreplaceable, really, um, around the way that he leads, um, the money he has in within the team. Um, but we've obviously got a quality leader in Aaron Smith around, you know, the world class standards and um, how he likes to prepare himself for a game of rugby and how he likes to play and the intensity that he, that he plays at and the standards that he holds himself accountable to. Um, you know, that's the sort of leadership that we want to sort of jump on the back of and, um, you know, hopefully we can get the majority of our squad thinking that way. Well, speaking of uh, leaders and uh, experience coming back, uh, you've brought Marty Banks uh, back into the squad and, of course, Gareth Evans has, has come back down to join Brother Bryn. So um, there's quite a lot of experience there. Yeah, um, you know, I'm always keen to get a bit of experience back into our side. I think it's if you don't have, you know, a dozen All Blacks, the next best thing is having experienced players who've done it before. You know, for us with Bryn, what Bryn produced last year for us, and even Josh Honick and um, around um, his experience, just adding to that is just going to strengthen our team. So Marty's hit them really well so far, and, and so is Gareth, so... Um, I think they're pretty excited to get out there and see what they can can do in the Highlanders jersey. Uh, unfortunate that um, you lost uh, Josh Shuani, so much potential there, but uh, you're going to have to 
to live without uh, without Josh this time around. He's gone to the Chiefs. So, uh, who's who particularly will be you looking to fill that void? Yeah, obviously, obviously, Marty Banks straight away comes comes to mind there um, around a quality team, um, you know, and around you know a little bit of X factor playing at fifteen. Um, we're hoping that you know um, Connor Garden Bishop and Sam Gilbert, you know, can improve on what they've done the last couple of years because they've been really impressive as well. So, um, you know, Josh was a big part of our team for four years and. Um, you know, and he's obviously gone for a, to try and secure a ten spot somewhere. Um, and we've got Mitch Hunt, who's probably our, been our dominant player over the last couple of years. So, um, you know, I'm I'm hoping that he's going to have a, a big season third year round. Uh, Falau Fokatava, of course, suffered a knee injury, wasn't able to play a lot of rugby in the last half of last year. Uh, but the potential quite clearly there. Um, where's I mean, you've got Aaron Smith obviously as your as your leader and your number one. But uh, how's uh, Falau's workload been at, at uh, pre-season? Is he is he getting back in line? Yeah, no, he's um, he's pretty excited, ready to play. He's um, just taken off the white bib this week, and um, so he's full training um, and he's going to play you know, at least the first half on on Friday. So quite exciting for. Allow to get back on the field, and quite exciting to see, you know, if he can get back to that form that he showed at the start of last year's campaign. So, Brownie, um, on the whiteboard, what is the? Have you got a mission statement? Your goals for the year for the for the guys? Well, I think um, you know, I think we set up a pretty good campaign last year, um, and the Rail part of the comp was probably. Yeah, extra time lost to the Chiefs that sort of cost us there. Um, and then when we went into that Aussie comp, I thought we, you know, we played a game of rugby that um, was pretty dominant at times and um, did a really great job around making it to the final. You know, and then it was, it was the last sort of five minutes of that final, we didn't quite get the job done either. So I think if we just look to improve on the little things that we did last year, try and take our game to a another level and get our players sort of believing that they can, you know, beat teams with beat teams with um, you know, eight or nine all backs in it. Brownie, sometimes the most frustrating thing for coaches I'm sure is when you put your squad together, you're not able to access them because of injuries, etc. Um, I mean sometimes those things are unavoidable, but overall how's the squad looking in that regard? Oh, we've been pretty good. Um, we obviously had a bit of a um, tough run in the Mitre 10 Cup, losing Putty Putty Parkinson, Jonah Nariki, Willie Armand and C.O. Tompkinson. But since then, we've been pretty good. Um, obviously, the boys are coming fit. Um, we've got a number of players back, like Satuli Pongea and Thomas Umunga Jensen for Alpha Kataba. Um, you know, so we sort of lost a couple in Mitre 10, but We've got a few back, and we haven't lost any since Christmas. So, fingers crossed. We, you know, especially through the pre-season and the early rounds, you know, we're able to select a pretty consistent team that allows us to go out and, you know, try and win all those early games, which are going to be vital. Oh, I know you're very inward-looking. Um, your job is in front of you as such. But have you had a chance to? Uh, to just uh, run the cutter over some of the uh, opposition squads. So I guess you will game by game when you have to play them. But if you look at 
Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Blues and the Blues back line, and uh, of course, um, Roger Tuivasa checking at 12. Have you, have you paid that much attention? Do you, would you think he'd be a good fit at 12, just looking at it for coming from league? Yeah, it's always always a tough one to um, find a spot for players like that who are not overly experienced um, in the rugby. So, you know, and I, de- I think ideally you'd probably want to find the outside backs, but I think with with the outside backs and the kicking game and, and all that sort of stuff around um, controlling the backfield, it's probably probably is an easier transition to move them into the midfield and, and use his sort of power strength and physicality. So I think they've sort of made the right decision there around where to play him. Now it's a matter of sort of just giving him some game time and and allowing him to, you know, develop in that position and, and, and learn along the way. So you're not going to get Dave Dobbin uh, on uh, Friday night by the look of things, but what will you be hoping um, as you look at it and, and you look at that development game? Is it a is it a, a game of uh, when I say two halves, forty minute halves, or are you going to split it up, or how's it going to be played? No, it'll be just two halves, but you know we always try and get the majority of our squad through a bit of game time in the first game in the season, with, with, especially because there's only two preseason games and. Um, you know, that second one, we want to have a bit of a, um, you know, dry run for our first game, so we won't be using as many players in the second pre-season, so the first one's always get the players out there and see what they can do and give them an opportunity to prove themselves. Oh, Brownie, great to catch up with you. Um, I hope that um, Western is a success from a playing point of view, uh, deprived from the public point of view, which is a great shame, but those are the times we're living in. All the best for the start of the season. Let's hope you get your, keep your squad intact and you can uh, get through relatively injury-free and uh, have a great start. Thanks for talking to us this morning, eh? Yeah, cheers, mate. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to it as well, Brownie. I think New Zealand needs some rugby and uh, Super Rugby is uh, about to start. Uh, plenty to talk about today. John Day and I have got a Mount Rushmore uh, just after 11.40 this morning and we've come up with uh, this one today. On the back of Kyrgios, on the back of Medvedev, and you know those guys that do seem to get up your nose from time to time. Uh, the four people in sport over the years that you've been watching that you dislike the most, or they really annoy you, or you don't, you, you like to see them lose. Put it that way. You wish ill upon them. So uh, the four people in sport, male and female, four people in sport uh, who uh, actually you hate the most. I think it's fair to say. Sum it up as quickly as that. Hate the most. There's that one, double eight, double three. Uh, the other one you could talk about is um, if you're old enough, where were you in the underarm day on underarm day? Um, and if you're not old enough to remember it, what have you heard about it? Uh, underarm day. So that is what it is. February the first is the anniversary, uh, and it is 41 years to the day that um, that happened at the MCG. So uh, any thoughts on that one as well? The underarm or sportsman you love to hate double eight double three behind the mic you're in safe hands it's mornings with ian smith on ecnz mount rushmore today at double eight double three is uh, sports people i love to hate uh and brad has come in and said smithy can i pick 11 certain teams starting with a uh brad you can if you like uh costa's come in with maybe one of those 11 david warner just a knob says costa uh and other particular issues that are coming through we're talking about uh, we just talked to Tony Brown about uh, what it's going to be like based in Queenstown 
Uh, John and uh, Jeff the Refs come in and said, Morning, Smithy. Yeah, to the ground. Cromwell has three sports grounds. Wanaka, three sports grounds. Alex, uh, Alexandra has uh, three sports grounds. Clyde has one. Uh, all of those grounds within one hour from Queenstown. One hour from Queenstown. So maybe there's uh, a thought there. Uh, also, um, text is coming from Anthony. Hi, Smithy. JD, does this mean all Super Games will be played in Dunedin? No. Pity we can't have crowds when I look around the world. It means it'll all be played in Queenstown, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. From what we're reading, the reports, um, which is another thing, isn't it? Like if you're going to have three games a weekend on the same ground uh, and you get some bad weather, I'm not sure how equipped they are, but these are all the things, I guess, that New Zealand rugby are having to mull over at the moment, Smithy, and it's closing in. We're not far away from rugby season, so a decision's got to be made soon, and we're getting told that Omicron is going to spread and going to be everywhere, so I'd say this is pretty likely, isn't it, that they are going to be have to be forced into a bubble somewhere, and it sounds like Central Otago could be the place. Well, I know a lot of the Sky commentators have been sent their schedules as to where they're going to commentate, and at this point they're certainly not there, but um, this is all, as Tony Brown said, it. you take it day by day. Um, and it could well be that um, they're all going to be based for ease of, of travel, uh, ease of uh, observing and being able to observe protocols, keeping within bubbles, etc. God, I hate that word, bubbles, all of a sudden. But anyway, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it used to be fun when you were a kid, bubbles. Now it's a pain in the neck whenever you hear it. Um, also, uh, I just don't, you know, I have... Um, I have no idea, to be honest, uh, and it's not the, not too far away. Yeah. Well, imagine, the, the Western uh, the, Force have been told to move, Smithy, already. Yeah. <laughs> well, that Perth's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? They've, they've got a real stubborn uh, premier who uh, was about to open and then relented, which meant a lot of people had to change their plans or got stuck halfway, uh, and he is not a popular man. Um, uh, Anthony has uh, said... Uh, hi, Smithy, JD. Underarm, the next day there was a large sheet on the local rugby club's mesh fence saying Chapel is a cheat. A few days later you could buy the T-shirt saying Aussies have an underarm problem. So, you know, that was way, way back, uh, 41 years ago. And a question for you too, John. Uh, yep. If we're all going to get 80,000 cases a day of this Omicron, 80,000 a day, isn't every place a place of interest? Why do we have to nominate an airport or a cafe a butchery, a bakery. Well, isn't if eighty thousand a day? Surely everywhere is a place of interest. Yeah, these modellers, eh? I don't know why or how they come up with these numbers, and not many of them have actually landed on the mark that they said. So I think maybe the less notice we take of the modellers, the better. I think a lot of journalists just don't have a lot of ideas and go back to the same people for the same kind of stories. But um, yeah, I mean, if it's going to get that bad, then well, just get boosted up and hope for the best, I guess. Boost up, boost up, and uh, clam up and everything up. Uh, 9.30 here at uh, SENZ, uh, half an hour's flown by. It's uh, time for Trudy in the news, and every time she reads the news this morning, it's going to be tinged with sadness. Nine thirty-three here on SENZ, and the All Whites impressive run of results under coach Danny Hay had a bit of a snag at the weekend when they lost to Jordan three-one. But they'll be out on the pitch again in the UAE tomorrow morning, very early, four a.m. when they take on Uzbekistan.
uh, joining us now to review and preview just where are the All Whites at at the moment uh, is uh, former All White uh, and really respected uh, analyst as well in the game, Fred de Jong. Good morning to you, Fred. Um, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, a couple of days to reflect on that performance against Jordan. What did you make of it? Yeah, good morning, mate. Um, good morning to everyone else. Um, uh, it, was, it was pretty poor, actually, um, on reflection. Just, um, I think, as you say, they had, they've had an impressive uh, run of results recently, and the expectation was, yes, Jordan were going to be a step up um, from some of the opposition, like the Gambia and probably Curaçao, um, and that they're a side that had been in camp for a good deal of time, so um, probably more organised than some of the other teams who, again, like the All-Whites, just come together and dissipate um, for the windows. Um, but the All-Whites, I, I think the key thing was a, a, like a lack of intensity, and I think there were a number of new players coming in, and Danny's um, been quite open that he's going to give players that he's selected for the first time, he's going to give them a, a good opportunity to show what they can do. Um, and I think... In a couple of, in a few cases there, rather than just playing, players were trying to do the right thing, and rather than just going, look, I got here because I do a certain thing quite well. I'm just going to keep doing that, and um, it's almost overthinking the game. And um, yeah, that combined with a lack of intensity um, ended up being um, not a great night for the All Whites. Uh, not a great night uh, for goalkeeper Michael Wild. He, uh, he appeared to struggle a wee bit in the Olympics at time as well. So. I mean, when you look at that, I mean, you look at the scoreline and you say, well, that's accountable perhaps to a, to a couple of errors in that respect. So if you go down the field, it's, it's, is, it, is that more of an issue for you? I mean, they're individual mistakes, but if you look at the, the overall attitude, et cetera, as you're talking about it, is that a bigger problem than, than those mistakes at the back? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you're right. Um, Michael Vard had a, had a horror night, um, especially when, you, when you're trying to get you know, push for a, a result, a draw, you're 2-1 down, and he, he lets one through at the near post, um, which is a killer blow, and then the game's gone. Um, so, but, um, yeah, further forward, I think there were uh, some players um, were okay. I think um, it, it actually highlighted some areas where you could see players are more comfortable in certain roles, I think. Um, for, and the, probably the, the best example of that was uh, Marco Stamenic, was playing as a deep-lying midfielder. So his, his role in that position is to sort of almost dictate play, get the ball, play wide, get it, play, into, play forward. Um, and it was sort of stuttering along. And he was, it was he, I think, in that, in that role, he's a guy who goes, what am I meant to do now? Um, what am, he's o- and almost overthinking it. Then second half, he got pushed forward. Clayton Lewis came in. And that switch, straight away, the always looked better. Stamenich is driving with the ball, um, and so he's way more comfortable in a more forward role. And you could see that. So that's actually a little tick for Danny to go, OK, I think I'm going to play him there. And you've got, you know, and then Joe Bell will come in for this game. Um, there'll be a lot of changes, I'm sure, um, for this Uzbekistan game. Um, but, yeah, I think there were across the board in the outfield players, there were some ticks and also some crosses um, next to some names for Danny. He's actually had, a, because of his fine work and being able to commit to staying over there, he's actually came up, come up with more fixtures than we probably thought they were going to get. But now that we're down to the wire, basically, with this uh, Uzbekistan game basically being the last hit out, it seems, before those World Cup qualifiers, how close, how close do you think Danny is to a, a starting eleven as such? I think there's, there's two things. One is the eleven, and two, the formation. 
And I think it's um, we saw, um, but but I, I do think he's he he knows probably eight or nine of his players. I think um, the the key positions are probably oh well. I think the goalkeeper one's resolved now, um, and I think the other one is who's going to partner Chris Wood up front. So there's a spot there for someone who to grab with with both hands um, across the the rest of the the um, the field. I think Danny sort of pretty much has has would have um, his his favourite formation and his favourite players um, in, in his mind. Um, but I do think you'll see a change of formation today. It'll be you know, a, a back three, midfield five, front two, and um, I think. That probably with the players we've got and their skill sets, I think that that gives um, that's the best formation for those skill sets you've got because it gives natural width, and that's what really was lacking against Jordan. There was no width, and um, I think with with the wide midfielders, suddenly you've got width, and you'll get a, you'll see Joe Bell get on the ball, open out, and just ping diagonals and try and catch the opposition sort of off balance. Um, so to speak, and uh, I think you'll see a lot more of that in this game. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, one of the stories that came out uh, about, uh, I guess, just prior to Christmas, actually, uh, was the fact that we might not have some of our players uh, available to us in the very early stages of those qualifiers. Is there any update on that? No, no, that's still the same. Um, (laughs) It's a, a, uh, probably you could say, a typical Oceania um, decision, uh, um, just trying to hamstring New Zealand as much as possible. Sat in on a few of those meetings when I was on the uh, executive committee for Oceania, and um, I lost a few votes, ten-one. I got to say, um, <laughs> I think this would have been this would have been the same um, because it, I mean there was there was a formation for this for this qualifying tournament that could have fitted the whole crammed the whole thing into a window into the window, but um, they've decided. The executive committees decided, or the competitions departments decided to go outside the window. Obviously, guys like Chris Wood, we have no call on him then. So you're going to go with a um, uh, for those first two games. You're going to you're going to go with a um, not your, your strongest eleven. Um, wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world. Any other confederation, um, you'd you'd be laughed. You'd be laughed out of the room. Um, you know, if you tried UEFA to do that, it just, you know, it would just be a joke. Um, so, so it's a poor, it's a poor decision. Um, having said that, I mean, New Zealand's got the the depth of player to to pay, compensate for that. Um, you know, we've got 50 professional players playing in good leagues around the world. Um, you know, you're talking about Papua New Guinea, um, Fiji. They they would have one. So um, the gap is is large and significant, um, but it's a it's a headache because this is this is the crunch time of the the four year cycle, and to have these sort of things thrown at you is just a, a headache that you don't really and and don't expect, don't really deserve, and don't expect. Mm. Yeah, uh, it is. It's, I think it's awful to be honest at this level. Absolutely awful. But however, mm. uh, Liberato Kakachi is uh, in the headlines this morning. Uh, He's on loan to Empoli in the Serie R, which is great news for New Zealand football to see a Kiwi potentially getting some action in the top Italian league. Yeah, no, we never had, never had anyone play Serie R. Um, I think in the in the news bulletin you had just here, you know, Matt Garbett's playing in the youth level at um, at Torino. Um, so 
Um, so yeah, that that is that's exciting. You know, the more obviously the more players we can get at these sort of levels is is great. Um, I mean, uh, Libby's you know, he, he you notice a difference when he's not in the all-whites. He has he has his engine, you know, the ability to get up and down the line and get in behind opposition um, defenses and deliver really good quality balls um, is is a key part of the strategy for for Danny Hay. And I think you know. If, Get it, the, for him to get, he was always sort of earmarked to go really high in the game, and I think this is the start of that um, fulfilling that sort of that promise um, that we saw that we could everyone could see at the Phoenix. Fred, just a little closer to home. Uh, I'd like love your feelings uh, about the the Phoenix men and women. Uh, uh, they blew uh, a two 0 lead the, the women's Phoenix side. Now they've lost the eight in a row. Uh, having said that, uh, they've had uh, all sorts of issues, of course, uh, as they, a lot of sides have in uh, Australia with uh, players available, COVID, all this sort of thing. Um, I just wonder, in reflection, um, the introduction of the women's Phoenix team to the competition, what are your feelings on that thus far? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's great for New Zealand football. Um, You've got to understand it's bankrolled by New Zealand football. It's not The Phoenix haven't gone out and not spending a great deal of money on it. I think a lot of most of it's coming from New Zealand football, um, with an eye to the Women's World Cup in 2023. Um, so this is you know, a platform to to try and progress some players into the football ferns. And in that regard, absolutely, it's a it's a good thing. It's actually interesting because when the when I look back and the Phoenix, the men's the Phoenix and um, the, the Knights fell apart. It was on the board of New Zealand mm-hmm. football, and everyone was saying, "You guys got to step in and take over the comp- take over the team." And at that time, we were like, it's not our job, man. It's not our job to run a professional football team. Um, if they go really poorly, what are kids going to say about, what are parents going to say about their subs going to a professional player's wages? You know, so we, we had a big, long debates about whether New Zealand football should step in and do that. Um, this, this is slightly different, I think, um, but eventually that, that's got to be handed over to the Phoenix proper. Um, this first year, I mean, some of the rules around the makeup of the team are, are shocking, I think. You know, you, you put limits on the number. You have to have seven Australian players. You have you can only sign eleven New Zealand players. If you if if you want to sign a new player, it's got to be at the expense of a New Zealand player. All these sort of things. It's just it's. I mean, talking to Gemma Lewis about it, and and it's frustrating for her. Um, but as a concept, really good, really really good, mm. and it will be a real boon for the for the women's game in New Zealand. But you're going to have to suck. We're all going to have to suck it up for this first year because it's going to be a tough year. Yeah. Um, but then, then hopefully people get serious about it. Yeah, I, I actually got to say, I mean, there have been some relatively close defeats, etc., um, blown opportunities. It's not like they can, you know, thrashed every week and, and it's it's been embarrassing. It's been far from that. What about the men? Uh, the men's Phoenix uh, side under Ufuk to lay four-one down to the victory in the FFA Cup. Semi-final, probably one of their worst results for a while. What what about their season to this point? I think they're on the cusp, they're, and it, they're either going to go drop one one side or the other, um, because you know they've they've um, again they've been hamstrung not being able to to re- to sign um, overseas players um, because of COVID and getting them firstly in pre-season, getting them into New Zealand. And then, um, and then waiting for the January transfer window. And now they've got that. They've got um, they've got a defender. They've got a midfielder. Um, Gary Hooper's come back up front. Um, so they've got their stock for the for the rest of the season. 
Um, I think, you know, they, they, they won their last league game um, to get themselves sort of in the mid-regions mid of the table. And, I, yeah, it was a poor result um, against uh, Melbourne Victory, although they did go a goal up and had a couple of other chances that potentially could have made it a bit of a got a bit of a buffer, but the second half was really poor. But they, but that that really highlighted their lack of depth, and they had to put young kids on, and they're they're just not up to that level at the moment. Um, so I think yeah, it'll go one of two ways. They'll either sort of be a, a mid middle moat team, a, a middle of the road team, um, and and sort of drop out of the the top six contention, or they'll go on a run like they did last year because they've got the cattle now. And, and Ufuk Tele's got some stuff to work with now, and um, and and they'll be. I think they'll, you know, a good good result for them will be just sneak into the playoffs. Fred De Jong, as always, uh, great to get your thoughts uh, on a number of matters there, and uh, especially those ones where you were sitting in the boardrooms and watching these <laughs> things go backwards and forwards across the table. Uh, enjoyed chatting to you, mate. Uh, look forward to that performance tomorrow morning, uh, four o'clock, New Zealand, the All Whites versus uh, Uzbekistan. Thanks for your time, Fred. All good, mate. Cheers, man. Yeah, cheers. Fred de Jong there. Uh, terrific, man. And uh, really uh, uh, running his uh, finger across uh, what's happening in the football world, but particularly the All-Whites, of course, he's got a passion for them there. He's got uh, uh, vested interest, of course, with his background, etc. And um, this is uh, an important time for New Zealand football as those playoff games loom. 9.47 here on SENZ. A few more texts to read out uh, and a multi before 10 o'clock. Register at longestday.org.nz It's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ uh, Hated people and sport That's uh, our subject today Double eight, double three on the back of Kyrgios and Medvedev and co Wayne Barnes, Paul Honus, Steve Walsh Jr, Colin Hawke <laughs> Says Jeff Ref, uh, All Black and Otago rugby supporter of course um, Sports knobs, Dennis Connor, James Harden Paul Gallantine Randall Interesting uh, Benny's come in and said, I used to hate Michael Ennis when he was playing, but since his retirement, he has become an analyst for Fox Sport and has changed my perception of him completely. He has a really good rugby, a great rugby league mind, in fact. Uh, good morning, Ian Smith. Zaid here. Uh, g'day, Zaid. Hello again. Quade Cooper, Paul Gallen, uh, Connor McGregor, and Stephen Smith. That's Stephen A. Smith, I would imagine, who's uh, the uh, correspondent in America who knows everything. About everything, about everything. David Warner and Nick Kyrgios, uh, that's from Zaid. So plenty coming in. Keep them coming in, double eight, double three. Uh, we've just got time to sneak in a multi before 10 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. You got to know when the hole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Dreaded basketball let us down again yesterday. The Dallas Mavericks got beaten in the last minute by Orlando Magic. That should never happen, but it did. Basketball. Hate basketball, but I put faith in it again today. Uh, Indiana Pacers to beat the LA Clippers at a buck sixty-seven. Uh, the Central Stags to beat the Auckland Aces. Uh, that game is uh, on very shortly, so get it on quickly. Two bucks. Uh, Stags outsiders here. Ross Taylor and the team in Australia to beat Oman in a Football World Cup qualifier tomorrow morning at $1.50. So $5.01 for that, John, but that pales into insignificance compared to your story. Does it what? Uh, someone nailed the beast multi I've seen. 
uh, yesterday on the NFL playoff smithy. They put 20 bucks a voucher on it, uh, so not even like their own money. It was like bonus bets. 20 bucks on the correct scores from the NFL yesterday. The Bengals to beat the Chiefs 27-24 and the Rams to beat the 49ers 20 points to 17. And that was 29,000 to 1. So with 20 bucks on, $579,000. Quite an amazing multi, that one, Smithy. That is absolutely staggering. What were the odds? 29,000 to 1 with 20 bucks on. Good God. Good God. 29,000 to 1. That is an amazing result. It's 9.59 here on SENZ. Time for the news. And Trudy, please have a sausage roll for me. Lunch is on now. Register at longestday.org.nz. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it is 10.03 here on SENZ on this day, February the 1st. Of course, it's the anniversary every year of uh, the underarm game of cricket uh, played at the MCG way back in uh, uh, February the 1st, uh, 1981. It was part of a New Zealand cricket tour that uh, started uh, in around about November and went right through until uh, late February. It was uh, like a, a marathon over there, but as a young kid, you just loved every single second of it and never really expected that... Uh, Towards the end of it, it would end in like turmoil. It was like war between two countries as a result of uh, this particular uh, decision um, by one player, um, not to break the rules, but to go against, uh, I think, the integrity of the game. I think that's fair to say. Uh, It was interesting. Uh, An interesting day out for sure. At the MCG, 52,000 people in attendance. Ian Smith is out, bold Trevor Chappell for four, eight down for 229, and... New Zealand's only hope now is a six off the last ball for a tie. Long discussion. Well, it looks to me as if they're going to bowl underarm off the last ball. Rod Marsh is saying no, mate, but I'm sure he's going to bowl an underarm delivery on the last ball and bowl it along the ground and be sure that it has not been hit for six. The umpires have been told, the batsmen have been told, and this is possibly a little bit disappointing. Let's make sure it is an underarm, but I've got the feeling it's a big ex-Victorian skipper. They're going to bowl an underarm. We haven't believed it. And that's a disappointing finish. Disappointed Brian McKechnie, the crowd boom. And it's all over. After 50 overs, New Zealand, 8 for 229. When uh, McKechnie had to hit a six off the last ball, just to tie, mind you, not to win, just to tie, then the panic became real and uh, they made certain that New Zealand couldn't tie the match. Now, everyone around Australia will have their uh, own ideas on that and uh, we always get letters and phone calls about different things that happen, so I don't expect anyone to agree with me. Uh, I don't expect uh, that you get more than 50% agreement on anything. Let me just tell you what I think about it. I think it was a disgraceful performance from a captain who got his sums wrong today and I think it should never be permitted to happen again. We keep reading and hearing that the players are under a lot of pressure and that they're tired and jaded and perhaps their judgment and their skill is blunted. Well, uh, perhaps they might advance that as an excuse for what happened out there today. Not with me, they don't. I think it was a very poor performance. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good night. 
one of the worst <laughs> I've ever seen on the, I mean, uh, ability to sum it up. And when someone like that, the late Richie Beno says it like that, you kind of sit up and take notice, don't you? But uh, yeah, such a long time ago, people say get over it. Well, I was over it, I was over it a long, long time ago, actually. And it's only just uh, a memory that keeps uh, surfacing every now and then, perhaps once a year. But uh, the other reason I, I thought, John, was um, we, we'd play that today, and it was only out of coincidence, was uh, that Greg Chappell at the time probably would go on most people's list as their most hated sportsman, maybe Trevor Chappell as well. Uh, maybe the, the Chappell brothers would have got two on the list, but uh, you would have thought that in particular Greg Chappell would make uh, the top four of someone's, but not uh, to this point. So far, yeah. we've got a lot of David Warners. A lot of David Warners, but no Greg Chappell. No, is he going to be on your list? We'll have to um, find out at 20 to 12 when we do our Mount Rushmore of most hated sports people. But Smithy, take you back 41 years ago. You were obviously in the middle during that last over. No one had hit a six all day at the MCG. So why why would they decide to bowl an underarm when you need a six to tie to a number 10 batsman? It just doesn't make any sense. Was Greg Chappell under that much pressure as a captain? Because it was a deciding one day, wasn't it? Well, it was interesting because it was the same day that uh, Martin Sneddon caught him magnificently in the outfield, the very same day. Uh, and he didn't take Sneddon's word for taking the catch. And quite clearly, the catch was taken clearly. Uh, Martin Sneddon, we were out to celebrate. And uh, I, I distinctly remember uh, saying to him, you've got to go. I mean, you've got to take his word for it. Uh, and he just stood there like in stone. He, he just didn't even acknowledge anything. He just basically said, look, he didn't say anything. He just stood there. Actually. He basically gave the impression that he wouldn't go nowhere. Uh, so it was, it was quite interesting. I and mean, maybe you, you got a clue there of what kind of yeah. zone he was in. Um, and uh, so that was a straight-out umpiring blunder. Both umpires had said they weren't looking at the catch. I mean, what, <laughs> what? the hell are you looking at? What are you looking at if you're not looking at the catch? I'm, I'm sound looking bitter again all over. <laughs> but he, he, no, I mean, that, to me, that was just appalling. Hmm. Um, and so anyway, uh, so when later in the day, you sort of sat down and thought, well, he, what, what kind of mood was he in? What, where was he? Uh, he might have been uh, in, a, in a weird one that day and, and not really um, uh, over the top of things. But a big ground, a big ground, John. I'm, I hinted at it in the sermon, actually. Back in those days, the fence was the boundary, but you had to hit it over the fence. These days, it's over the fence for six. You hit the fence on the full, it was four. And there's a big concrete drain around as well, just at the bottom of the fence. So if the ball went into that, that was four. Everywhere else, every other blade of grass on the MCG was live. Uh, so, and it was a massive expanse. If you stood out there in the middle and thought, how the hell am I going to hit one over the fence from here? You'd probably be, be dreaming. And not many people did back then. I mean, I remember Lance Kens went back uh, about uh, three years later and hit six or seven sixes. Uh, Australians never have ever been able to get over that the immense power and strength and timing to be able to do that six or seven times in the space of ten minutes, let alone once in a whole day's play. And Brian McKechnie, um, great guy, I love him to death as a teammate, etc. Um, was never a power hitter, uh, couldn't hit it out of a shadow. To be fair, at times, and and um, you know the, the thought of him trying to hit it uh, around eighty to ninety meters with one opportunity, even with a legitimate delivery, was was uh, the odds of that are like getting that multi in uh, America that you <laughs> yeah. talked about just before. <laughs> so, and he's a big-time player, Brian McKechnie. is involved in so much controversy uh, in two or three of the sporting matches he played in. But he was a, a man for the big occasion, but uh, even that was a full-on hope. And then, of course, uh, when they rolled it along the ground to him, that took everything out of play.
So, I mean, it was, it was an interesting scenario. We were, um, we were in the dressing room looking at the viewing room. Uh, the viewing room at the MCG in those days was uh, above the dressing room. So you go downstairs to get changed, etc., in the big, big changing rooms, and then upstairs to a smallish viewing room. Uh, where all the players congregated, and I couldn't quite work out what the fuss was about because I was the, the, the silly idiot that played the worst cricket shot in history and got out the ball before, uh, and I was uh, actually just sort of going downstairs to reflect on uh, what I'd done wrong uh, when I heard all this commotion upstairs, so I ran up the stairs and uh, just got up there in time to see uh, what, had, what had happened, and there was all sorts of reaction in our dressing room to amazement, disbelief, uh, a few things went flying. Uh, and anger. Some guys were genuinely, uh, genuinely, um, uh, genuinely angry about the scenario. I don't quite know. I was just a kid, uh, really, what was going on, to be honest. Uh, so we, we just reflected on that for a while, and of course, um, uh, most people uh, on both sides of the Tasman didn't agree with it. There were some that did. Uh, there was, uh, I think, one or two players on the Australian side that were uh, actually not that worried about the whole deal at all, and some that were. Uh, but uh, I, I remember we, we sat in the dressing room for a long, long time after that particular thing. In fact, we'd, we'd probably, you know, the, the free beer kept coming in because uh, I think they felt sorry for us. Australian board members came in to apologise. None of the teams mixed at that point. Uh, left in darkness. Um, and uh, as we were outside, we, we staggered outside probably about two and a half hours to three hours after uh, the particular game. We had no idea. Uh, we were just uh, sitting and looking inwardly within the dressing room uh, talking about lots of things, but uh, when we went outside, there was still a multitude of people after all that time waiting for us outside, uh, and they were carrying their bags to the minivans and things and, and apologising. And, wow. Uh, you know, a lot of people were quite emotional about the whole deal. So it was, um, and it wasn't until we really got back to the hotel and even the next morning when the newspapers had the headlines, etc., and um, prime ministers got involved, we realised how big it was. Yeah. Uh, because Who were the prime ministers at the time? Out. Uh, uh, certainly uh, Rob Muldoon, Robert Muldoon. Uh, I'm not quite sure who the Australian Prime Minister was way back then. Might have been Bob Hawke or someone even further back than that. Uh, but honestly, it is, um, it, is, it is what it is. It was what it was. And uh, At the time, a lot of people were angry with Greg Chappell. Um, a lot of people were angry, angry with Trevor Chappell. Trevor Chappell was a bit of a victim. Um, because it, it was actually the, the thing that you've, you've got to understand. It wasn't illegal. In Australia, it was not illegal to do it. It was uh, illegal in England, and that's why Jeff Howarth, as our captain at the time, ran down the stairs, ran past me actually, ran down the stairs uh, in his T-shirt, socks, and his beige trousers out into the middle of the MCG to uh, remonstrate with the umpires. Uh, because in England, you didn't do it, and that's where he was playing all his county cricket, etc. Never even thought of doing being done here in New Zealand either. So he had no experience of it as such. But it was actually not an illegal act. It was just an immoral act. Uh, and so, yeah, it was... But, man, did it divide the nations? Holy uh, moly, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> one sporting event in time uh, involved with uh, New Zealand sporting teams. It's probably, I think, probably number one right up there um, with what has happened to New Zealand sport over the years. Day in, day out, those people who are my age or a little older or maybe just a little bit younger will uh, remember it very well. Uh, kids these days have no knowledge of it, and they see a clip on the news, etc., every now and then, and think, "What the hell is going on there?" <laughs> yeah. um, it, has, it has it has transcended time a wee bit. Yeah, absolutely. What about like McKitney, uh blocking it, throwing his bat away? What what else could he have done? You know, I see. 
people have tried to what reenact it maybe by flicking it up with your foot and then trying to hit it for six. But what was his mentality? What did, what did he say about it afterwards? Well, he's a fairly unflappable, layback sort of a dude, Brian McKechnie. Uh, and so oh, I don't, I don't. He was just a, a bit nonplussed by the whole thing, really. Uh, we tried, uh, uh, we tried to get hold of uh, Bruce Edgar before because, of course, Bruce Edgar was at the non-strikers end on a hundred not out. A hundred not out in a one-day game back then was almost unheard of. A hundred not out, batted right throughout the innings and sat down the other end and watched those six balls unfold. Richard Hadley, incidentally, in the second ball, I think, of that over, got one of the worst umpiring decisions LBW I can imagine. It was just an absolute pitched outside leg stump shocker. Uh, um, but I was just, everything just conspired that day. Absolutely conspired. And yeah. it was just, wow, just throw your hands up in the air and move on. Yeah, well, what happened um, when you got home? What, when you were trying to move on, and obviously you had moved on by that stage after a few beers, and you know, you, you leave the MCG and you leave it at that, and then you arrive back home in New Zealand. And it's like, an, a, you know, it's a political situation. Are you guys at the middle of it? Were you. You know, interviewed about it. Were you in the papers everywhere? Were you on TV? What was happening? Yeah, I think a lot of people wanted to know the exact feeling within the team, exactly, and, and what had happened in the middle, and how did you take it? So, yeah, a lot of guys went on radio stations like this, and uh, a lot of people did do uh, interviews. Brian McKechnie, obviously, very sought after uh, individual. Um, and, and what what had happened though is that uh, it ignited cricket in the weirdest sort of way. Uh, it ignited cricket in this country um we lost we lost the series um but you know it absolutely ignited the game here to the point where fringe people or people who really weren't that fussed on cricket could take it or leave it actually had genuine feelings about the game particularly when New Zealand was playing and particularly uh when Australia played New Zealand and there was a record crowd the first time they came back over they played at Eden Park it was a record crowd um, I mean, they, they just could not control the crowd. In fact, uh, when wickets fell, the crowd ran on the park. It was just it was outrageous uh, compared to what the security levels are today. I mean, Red Badge would have had 100 heart attacks trying to control it. <laughs> and, 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 all, you know, and it was amazing. And when Greg Chappell came out to bat, some guy bowled a bowling ball out, an actual That's bowling right. ball. That's right, yeah, a lawn bowling ball. Yeah. From the terraces, yeah. And Jeremy Coney picked it up with a great sense of humour and lawn bowled it back. Uh, well, I mean, those days, uh, you know, the interaction was just quite incredible. But the feeling there at that time was fever pitch um, for New Zealand to beat Australia at, and absolutely everything. It was just, uh, it, was, it, was, it was cool to be part of um, and, and really weird. And, and every year about this time, people, um, it jogs people's memory. Yeah. And think, oh, really? What was it like? And did Greg Chappell uh, ever take it a, back? Did he ever say, oh, you know, take, if I went back to that yeah. day, I, I wouldn't do it? Yeah, yeah, he did basically. He, he basically has over a period of time. He's apologised. Um, the thing about Greg Chappell is a hell of a guy. He, he's a good guy outside that day. Very, very good guy. Tough competitor um, and, and a brilliant, brilliant batsman. Uh, he just lost his way. You know, I mean, we're all allowed a, a really bad day at the office, and when we do have a bad day, not that many people know. But when you have a bad day as the Australian cricket captain at the office, uh, a lot of people know, particularly on that world stage, and. Uh, they um, they they really suffered because of that for he, he and Trevor for a long long period of time and uh, something that'll never ever be forgotten. But what should be remembered was Greg Chappell was one of the finest batsmen during that era, one of the most immaculate players, 
uh, and he, he just he got it wrong. Um, it was interesting because he, he was booed off, uh, booed off the ground that day at the MCG. Uh, two nights later, we played the, the next match in those final series against uh, Australia at the SCG, and it was pretty much a full house there. He got booed to the wicket there by his crowd, and we wow. all thought, holy wow. hell, yeah. that's big. He scored a magnificent 80-odd and got a standing ovation off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aussies, eh? There you go. And they won again. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> that, is, that was basically uh, just another day at the office, John. The underarm, February the 1st, 1980. Oh, you tell it well, mate. 10-18 here. 10-18 here uh, on SENZ, and it is panel time coming up. The Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenge is on now. Register at longestday.org.nz. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Patrick McKenzie, James Regan with us this morning as we look at the various subjects of the day. Good morning to you gentlemen. First of all, start with you Pat and a little bit of boxing news where Joseph Parker has called out to Andy Ruiz for a rematch. Yeah, that's right, Smithy, and uh, happy new year to you and James. I haven't haven't been on yet uh, this year, so great to be back. Uh, but uh, yeah, Parker is uh, called out Andy Ruiz. Of course, those two fought back in Auckland in 2016 uh, when uh, Joseph Parker won the WBO heavyweight world title uh, in a very close fight, majority decision won by Parker. Uh, and he feels obviously that uh, he's in a, in a good position to, to win the rematch again. So he's he's called out Andrew Ruiz. He's a bit happening in the division, obviously. Uh, Parker's turned down a chance to fight uh, Croatian Filip Hergovic, um, basically because the money isn't right, I think. And uh, he's also sort of recovering from uh, slight elbow issues. Um, again, aggravated uh, during his fight against, recent fight against Chisora, Derek Chisora. Uh, in Manchester, so yeah, he he feels Parker feels he can beat Ruiz. I think the the fight will be held in America, where Ruiz, uh, with his Mexican heritage, has a has a pretty big following. Um, so that that will be a very interesting fight. Obviously, the the, the the pair have gone in different directions since they fought in 2016. Ruiz uh, went to the top of the world when he shocked the world, really, when he beat Anthony Joshua in that big fight in uh, in New York. Uh, since then, he's sort of been on a bit of a decline. So, yeah, intriguing fight and, and one I'd very much look forward to. It's actually, James, uh, quite easy to catch up with what's happening in New Zealand boxing because they're all basically under the same roof at the moment, aren't they? You've got Joseph Parker, David Neeker and uh, Sonny Bill Williams all there uh, with the Gypsy King. So you only have to ring one phone number almost. Yeah, that's right. They've formed kind of a, a bit of a super group out there. Uh, with Tyson, and, and it's great to, to see because they're obviously all enjoying themselves and they're all, all working really hard as well. We saw how much Joe uh, improved under Andy Lee and in that kind of environment between the two Chisora fights. So something like a yeah Ruiz rematch kind of makes sense, and, and as Pat said, it will be a really interesting fight. Hopefully in America they can draw a massive crowd, and then it will be... The more good exposure for Joe as he kind of goes about his, his journey, hopefully back to a, a world title. But yeah, the, the Kiwis out there really, um, really putting themselves on the map on on boxing's world stage, which is which is amazing to see. Queenstown looks like might be the hub of rugby. How, how many times have we heard this uh, in the past? Really, where 
Queenstown was going to be, James, uh, possibly uh, the spot where teams accumulated or teams uh, went through all the protocols, etc., during this COVID uh, system that we're working under. But all of a sudden, here we hear it again. It could be the home of uh, Super Rugby Pacific as such. Yeah, I'm sure Queenstown are absolutely loving this as well because obviously a lot of their tourism would have been hit because of COVID. So having all the Super Rugby teams would, would be a bit of a draw card for, for anyone who can maybe get down. But it's kind of what the competition will have to do and would always have to do under these circumstances, under red light and the need, I guess, to, to ensure players are safe and remain COVID-free to keep the competition going. And kind of a hub and a bio-bubble is what a lot of, or all of these world uh, sporting competitions have had to do. And it kind of makes sense for Super Rugby at this stage to follow suit just to be extra cautious as kind of this Omicron outbreak um, takes hold. So fair play to New Zealand Rugby and, and to all of them for kind of getting ahead of this and, and getting on top of it nice and early because the last thing we would want is kind of play to get underway as normal and then it has to get shut down because players have been got COVID or, or whatever. So the fact that they're kind of getting on top of it early is, is a big credit to them and, and good for Queenstown as well. Well, it is. It is good for Queenstown, uh, Patrick, but I, I would believe uh, and I would imagine that Queenstown hoteliers, moteliers, uh, cafe owners, etc., will be under the attitude of, I'll believe it when I see it. I've been teased quite a lot. <laughs> That's right. And you know, I've got a couple of points um, about this um, proposal, I guess. Um, one is that, you know, this was, this was sort of mooted um, last year, wasn't it, by the three Auckland teams in the MPC, uh, Auckland, North Harbour and Counties Monaco, who uh, wanted to, in order to, to remain competing in the MPC, they proposed they, they enter separate bubbles in Taupo uh, in order to train and prepare and possibly play uh, there because they couldn't in Auckland due to the lockdown. And, of course, that was knocked back by the, by the Ministry of Health and various government officials. So that was, um, that was extremely disappointing for, for all those involved there and also the fans, the fans of the teams who didn't see them play at all. Uh, after it was after it was cut off. So look, I know I know things have changed. We went we've gone from elimination to suppression. Um, so hopefully we will see all these teams based in, in Queenstown and, and operate sort of as normal in terms of the competition. Um, but secondly, but these, these players are going to have to be kept on a pretty short leash. I would have thought if it does go through. You know, I'm not sure how the, how long they potentially spend in Queenstown, but six or seven weeks or so in one spot in the same hotel, uh, a lot of young men sort of seeking um, various forms of distraction and entertainment away from rugby uh, during a pandemic is going to be quite difficult, I would have thought. So um, hopefully it goes ahead. Hopefully we see um, Super Rugby Pacific um, start on the, on the day it's supposed to start and we see some good action. But um, certainly there could be, uh, could be a few interesting issues ahead, I'd suggest. I suggest you're right. I would suggest you're right, Patrick. Uh, Patrick McKendry, James Regan with us at the moment. It is 10.30 here on SENZ, uh, and hopefully Trudy's with us with the news, and the, the boys will be back shortly with uh, another couple of other topics. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. James Regan and Patrick McKendry are with us on the panel this morning. Patrick McKendry, did you ever doubt that Lydia Coe would be back? 
<clears throat> not really, Smithy. I, I didn't actually watch it the other way, uh, where I couldn't get any or much coverage at all. Um, but you know, reading the headlines and the stories afterwards, um, not really. You know, when when she's in anywhere approaching good form, Lydia Ko, she's just got sort of nerves of steel, hasn't she? And um, and she's got such a short, good short game that can get her out of trouble if necessary. Um, then no, no, I certainly wouldn't doubt her, and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't bet against her if she's in contention. Uh, and just looking back, you know, at the Olympics where where she got that bronze medal and, and such a great performance in her and the sportsmanship and attitude and behaviour that she showed on the course and, and to her opponents, just brilliant. You know, I think I think Lydia deserves every success she gets, and um, just yeah, a wrap to see her again start the start the year so well. Interesting, James. Uh, she's looking at finishing at the age of 30. That's what we're hearing. That would give her a career in the PGA, the LPGA, of around about 15 years. And a lot of people would say that's long enough for anyone, uh, 15 years at that level. But to retire at the age of 30 uh, when you're that good at anything these days is almost unthinkable. Do you see that happening? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say because that's definitely... She's pretty firm in that in that kind of opinion, and you would hate to see that if she's especially at the top of her powers and, and playing as well as she can. If she goes out um, at that age, it would be such a shame. But if that's what she wants, it does it does feel as well because she's been around for so long that she's a bit older than she is. But we kind of forget how young Lydia Coast is and how much she has to give. So I think it was it was a pretty. Well, it was a really impressive performance over the weekend and Pat touched on it, but to hold her nerve like she did and kind of lead from the front, we've seen over the past couple of years who maybe dip off when she's been in that position before, but whatever she's doing uh, from the psychological point of view is, is obviously working because she was really just dominant and he didn't doubt that she would be able to get the job done, especially over the weekend. So whatever she's doing, I hope she keeps it up because it's great to watch and it's great to see her back at the top as well, and I think it's going to be a really big year for Lydia Coe. Yeah, the Golf Hall of Fame seems to be a, a real carrot, one of the talking points now. She's still got a little bit to achieve, but I think it, she'd be one of the youngest to ever get in there if uh, that does eventuate. Uh, James, the uh, Winter Olympics just three days away. It's not always been a sport that we've uh, looked at. It certainly pales into insignificance to the Summer Olympics. Commonwealth Games, maybe it's number three in that regard, but I think this year might be a little bit different because we have uh, some real possibilities to go all the way here. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some incredible uh, athletes up and Zoe Sadowski sent it first up in a, in a few days in qualifying and you hope she can really hit the ground running and, and get away um, off to a good start. But there are so many good stories, so many promising athletes out there looking around um, kind of the images we've seen on social media and that's the setup. Beijing as well just looks phenomenal. They all credit to them. Look like they've done a really good job um, with getting this organised, especially under the COVID circumstances. So can't wait. And it's one of those things as well. You'll see some sports that you've never really taken much interest in before, and then you'll just get right into it. You'll be um, you'll be cheering on the Kiwis. Patrick, what about you? Will you be showing uh, interest in it as such? Yeah. Yeah, I will, Smithy, and, you know, especially because, um, you know, New Zealand are a good chance, aren't they? Um, Zdowski, Sinnott and Porteous, of course, they, they won medals um, four years ago, um, so they'll be very confident, and especially given their recent form, 
but you know, I'm old enough to remember um, Annalise Koberger in 1992 mm. um, winning that silver in, um, in the skiing in, in France at, at the Winter Olympics there. Before that, I think New Zealand gone something like 40 years without winning any sort of uh, Winter Olympic medals. So we're really sort of um, hitting a, a golden age, so to speak, uh, in, in New Zealand in terms of New Zealand's Winter Olympics efforts. So, which is brilliant, you know, great for the sport and great for younger kids to get inspired by it. So it's um, something I'll be looking forward to watching, yeah, for sure. Actually, I just uh, had a, a text come in from Michael from Wellington, and uh, it uh, hasn't crossed my mind until now, actually. Um, Patrick, uh, Super Rugby or Picky is just around the corner, isn't it, as well? Uh, what are the, if, if, the, if Super Rugby Pacific has to go to Queenstown as one group, what happens to Super Rugby or Picky? Oh, look, I'm not. I'm not sure, Smithy. I'd say it's it's probably going to be in a bit of danger. Um, the uh, the w- women tend to get the the short end of the stick, don't they? So if anything's going to be cancelled or postponed or rescheduled, it's probably that competition. But um, fingers crossed, it doesn't happen. Hopefully, there are there are plans underway for that. You know, historic competition to start as scheduled as well. James, we talked to today about um, most hated sporting people. From your point of view, I think it's more on the back of uh, Nick Kyrgios, uh, his behaviour the other day against Michael Venus, uh, perhaps uh, Kokonakis and Medvedev to a certain extent, behaving like fools at times with the crowd in particular. Uh, and I, I, I go back, uh, we, we also con- uh, coincide today with uh, Greg Chappell and, and the uh, underarm incident, was, which is somewhat 41 years ago. But uh, if I had to ask you uh, for a sportsman who has riled you over the years or really got to you uh who would it be yeah it's it's a tough one tennis players at the moment especially seem to be right up there mine would probably still be Novak just because of the way he carried on and, and because of the issue that it was and and about it so I'd go Novak I think definitely you mentioned Michael Venus if you asked him this would probably be Nick Kyrgios at the moment for what happened last week but yeah, I don't know what it is about tennis players, but they they have a way of annoying people, don't they? They certainly do. I mean, the, the Kyrgios spectacle was quite unbelievable. People will say it's great for ratings. Uh, some will say it's great for the game. I'm not sure about that. Not great for kids to emulate that sort of thing. But however, um, what about you, Patrick? Who's really over your uh, history of doing sport? Um, I, I just wonder who's got, got up your nose the most. Well, I guess I'm, I'm a wee bit like you, Smithy, although for different reasons, obviously. Um, uh, probably Australian cricketers in general. Um, growing up as an impressionable boy watching uh, the underarm incident, which is still fresh in my memory, even 41 years later. Um, you know, going through to, to the various um, villains of the piece, you know, from, from a New Zealand um, perspective anyway. Uh, Mike Whitney and Rod, Rodney Hogg, those guys, but um, of course, more recently, Steve Smith, and I think um, I think one individual that, that most New Zealanders can agree that we love to hate will be David Warner, or Dum Dum Davy, as he's um, officially known here. <laughs> I think he'd take the cake yeah. for various reasons. Yeah, Davy Warner's on a lot of the people's list this morning, I can promise you. Gentlemen, thank you so much this morning. <laughs> uh, James Regan, Patrick McRendry for your opinions and your thoughts on those uh, various matters. Uh, Another panel at the same time tomorrow morning, 10.40 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Well, we'll have uh, a number of uh, texts that come in on a number of issues, and we invite you to continue to send them in on double eight double three. The four uh, sporting people, if you can't come up with four, the sporting people anyway that you would love to see lose, you hate, you can't stand them. They really have uh, irked you over their careers for various things that they've done. Um, just get in and, and give us a yell. Double eight double three. John Day and I will be telling uh, you about ours around about eleven forty uh, this morning. Um, maybe you've got a memory too of uh, the underarm game if you're a little bit older uh, and uh, you can send that in at the same time as well so uh, we've had a number of uh, texts come in about the underarm game uh, Brett says why did the teams not mix and I've, I mentioned that before and the reason why I think Australia uh, didn't come into our dressing room and, uh, is because they, I think they were a bit nervous about what the reaction was going to be I, I, I think um, they just thought well this is probably one day where we'll just leave it as it is and, and test the waters perhaps down the track a wee bit. So uh, certainly they didn't uh, didn't come in. And those guys, they were full of guys that love to have a drink at the end of the day, win, lose or draw, uh, and socialise. And in fact, that, that's where you get a lot of confidence. And you, you, as a young person, you, you just sit and listen. Uh, and you just learn so much from uh, some of those guys who were in the game for so long. But they felt on that particular night in question, uh, they weren't welcome. So they didn't come in. And because they didn't come in, uh, we had our own sort of cross the bear and our own issues to, to discuss and uh, it just never got to the point. And there was a door in common in between the two dressing rooms actually. It's not like you had to go out in the corridor and come back in. There was a door in common where you could just uh, open it up and uh, basically the two dressing rooms would be joined. That door didn't open. So uh, that's uh, why it didn't happen, Brett, on that occasion. I think uh, as the tour progressed towards the end of the very end of it, uh, they did, uh, we did mix again, so... And that incident was hardly ever brought up uh, between the two teams, more so in the public and uh, in the media. Uh, good morning, Brian says. Good morning, Ian. Fortunately, a lot of younger people didn't have to endure the umpiring in the 70s and 80s in Australia. Maybe why Warner ranks high on your list. Daryl Hare springs to mind. Daryl Hare, yeah. Daryl Hare was um, an umpire who riled a lot of people, actually. Uh, Daryl Hare was the umpire that uh, called Matthias um, Murley Duran for chucking. And, um, of course, that uh, didn't go down very, very well in the annals of uh, world cricket and sport. But uh, he believed he broke the rules. A lot of people agreed with Daryl here. Um, but um, because at that stage, uh, Murley was uh, good for the ratings. He was getting people out. Um, a lot of people, I think, thought, well, uh, is, it doesn't matter. He's not going to kill anyone with that action. Um, you know. And in the end, uh, the laws of the game changed somewhat. There was a lot more leniency and to the angle of your wrist or your arm at point of delivery. So in a way, he was, a, a, I guess, one of the reasons it changed to that extent. But Daryl Hare was an umpire that uh, a lot of people hated because of that decision. He had the courage of his own convictions to, to make that call. Um, so, yeah, uh, but the, I remember the umpires uh, that did us over there on a number of occasions. Dick French is someone. Um, Robin Bailash was another one. Uh, Robin Bailash no-balled Lance Kens for intimidatory bowling, for goodness sake, um, and cost us a test match at uh, the MCG. Lance Kens for intimidatory bowling to Jimmy Higgs, one of the most staggering things I've ever heard of or seen. Uh, and uh, the umpires on the underarm day were Don Weezer, remember his name because it's so close to Weasel, uh, and uh, a guy by the name of Peter Cronin, who up until that point we thought was quite a reasonable guy, but under severe pressure. Uh, those particular guys. So, uh, yeah, the umpiring, um, don't worry about that. It's always been one of those things that's uh, sort of got people uh, going anyway. 
Uh, they hit sixes in blind cricket, says uh, JD, who uh, says is a New Zealand blind cricketer. I hope if that's the case. Good morning to you, JD. But the boundaries are only 45 to 50 metres. Uh, so they are. <laughs> Imagine it's still a reasonably good hit if you have to hear a bell coming towards you and get the timing right. I've never done that. Um, perhaps we, it's not a hard thing to replicate. Just close your eyes and try and play cricket and keep them closed. Goodness me. Uh, I've uh, heard of, um, in that respect, not quite the same, but uh, when times are really, really boring in a game of cricket and you've got a slip cord in there, they play chicken. In other words, when the bowler's coming in to bowl, uh, they'll take it in turns to close their eyes during that delivery. Imagine that. Imagine that, playing chicken. In other words, you keep your eyes closed when the bowler's running in and you hope like heck it doesn't get nicked in your direction. It's 100k. It's going to hurt, isn't it? Uh, so uh, here's another list that, uh, that come in. Uh, so the Eric Cantona. Thought about Eric Cantona. I thought about Lava Shane too. He's just a kid on the block, but boy, does he run, his, his antics and his what, is it arrogance or what? His, his histrionics they really get to me. Uh, Michael Pup Clark. Uh, yep. Stephen Smith. Yep. Uh, and that Australian tennis player. Cheers, Ken. He doesn't even have to mention him. Uh, Wayne Barnes, full stop. Someone's come in. Wayne Barnes, full stop. Interesting. They keep flooding in. It's a subject that we've hit on that you love to talk about. Uh, and we'll have more after 11 o'clock. It is 10.51. Z, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> and as usual at this time, Louis Herman Watt joins us, courtesy of uh, Love Racing. Uh, and a really big day for Butch Castles and uh, those people at Tarapa tomorrow, basically racing behind closed doors, of course, which is a shame because there's a really fascinating card, including uh, the Group 2 Legacy Lodge Waikato Guineas, where uh, the perfect pink is lining up for Opie Boss and having to get to, down to 54 a half to ride it, uh, Louis. Yeah, that's right, Philly. It is an interesting card because uh, there's about 10 races on it, and most of them, if not all of them, apart from a couple of rating 65s, are maidens. And then race eight is a $110,000 three-year-old set weight Legacy Lodge Waikato Guineas, which is a group two, um, over 2,000 metres. And it's a fantastic race. You make the point, Opie's getting down to 54 and a half. He's done it a couple of times this year. We remember he got down to uh, 54 and a half to ride Bright Blue Sky. Um, so he has done it a couple of times and each time it's been worth it so you have to think that's a good sign the perfect pink obviously it went huge at Ellerslie last start and it will just got kicked back on the inside by Lye Creek which has since, since come out and won like a well, beast in the weekend over more ground looks ideal the only thing is it's a slightly sticky barrier I'd assume Opie will probably go back and let the filly work into it and will she be able to beat the boys I mean Seamus is the Derby favourite. And he's lining up from barrier one with Lethal on the back for Alan Sherrick. Dark Destroyer's been winning races for fun with Sam Weatherly. Field of Gold can gallop. He looks like he'll enjoy more ground as well. And then the Pittmans have got a... Uh, sorry, not the Pittmans. Um, Murray Baker and Andrew Fours may have a couple too. So there is a mm. fantastic field lining up and it really is a bit of a pyramid as to work out who comes out on top. Hell of a market, that, actually. Um Thanks very much for that, Louie. Look forward to that race tomorrow. We might chat about that again tomorrow morning on the day. Uh, but uh, over at the uh, representing the TAB this morning is uh, Brendan Popwell, and he'll have all eyes on that meeting, I am sure. But 
Uh, today, Brendan, there's uh, no NFL, there's no tennis. What are you framing up to us today? <laughs> That's right. It's a bit of a slow one. But um, what I can tell you, uh, Smithy, is through the NBA, best back team, uh, which starts in about two hours of the 76ers against the Grizzlies. They're 2.30 to win that match. But the point start has been very popular with one punter throwing down $1,200. On to the Waikato Guineas. In a race that I do believe lacks a lot of tempo, uh, we have seen uh, money for RJ's flight. We've seen 700 each way at the $16. Uh, and we've also seen uh, very good money around the perfect pink, $1,000 on that horse. But it could be a race where a runner like Field of Gold could get to the front. Seamus could get the, the dream running behind. And with lack of tempo, it could be hard for those horses from back in the field and just quickly before we go some cricket uh, and it can jump on tab.co.nz to watch this game and that is CD playing the Auckland Aces that kicks off very shortly Auckland are batting Thank you very much that's it but so Herbert Park and Palmerston Northland both BP and I are very big stag supporters it is 11 o'clock here on SENZ we're heading into Trudy's last hour The all-new SENZ. The golf challenge is on now. Register at longestday.org.nz. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, we're uh, talking NFL and we have been for uh, quite a few times in the last couple of weeks because we're at the very business end of the season and Super Bowl now is just under a fortnight away. And uh, the two teams have now been found that will contest Super Bowl number 56 at the SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, uh, coming up. What a, a great day of sport that is, and it rates so highly all around the world. To talk to us uh, about it, I'm sure a man who will have both eyes on it very much transfixed, is uh, Jared Cronin, our correspondent uh, from across the Tasman. Uh, and Jared, man, uh, it's been uh, a fortnight of incredible results and most of them have been upsets absolutely it's certainly been a uh, a multi-bets nightmare for uh, trying to pick any sort of results but uh, so compelling all the games have, have really come down to the wire and a lot of buzzer beater finishes a lot of upsets and yeah just so much drama I feel like this this playoff series has just been an absolute blast well yesterday was um, no exception to that I mean, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Andy Reid and, and the Kansas City Chiefs, I think were pretty much everyone's favourites when it got down to the last four. But in the end, they couldn't hold their nerve. And uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, strategised how to beat them. And they certainly did. Absolutely. And they looked as though they were about to get a, a bit of a hiding uh, in that first half. They trailed 21-3 to and, um, and were really looking as though they were probably going to you know, maybe freeze in the big moment. But no, no, Joe Burrow was having none of that. And also, I think a huge amount of credit goes to the Cincinnati defense in this game because they really did show up despite giving up the early lead. From that point onwards, they made some big plays which really turned the momentum of the game. And you could just see in the second half, that it just changed the whole the whole dynamic really changed. They were making enough plays on offense, which was fine. But on defense, they had Patrick Mahomes just really second-guessing himself. He looked really in doubt as to what he was trying to do with the football, which was obviously completely un-Mahomes-like, as we'd seen the previous week. So a lot of credit to them, especially their secondary, for blanketing the receivers and just making life Mm. really difficult for them. But, um, yeah, I think that Cincinnati Bengals' defense is a a sneaky good um, unit. 
Well, I, I saw those uh, final plays, uh, Jared, and I, and I thought to myself, uh, I mean, here's a guy that um, he, he hit uh, the NFL, uh, he hit the ground running, and because he could make miracle plays, and people are astounded when I'm talking about Mahomes like this, what he would come up with when he was under pressure. Now, yesterday, he at certain stages late in the game was running around uh, like a chook with its head cut off with absolutely no idea what to do. Mm. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one because they had invested in the offseason trying to upgrade their offensive line after last year's Super Bowl disaster. And uh, to be honest, it actually looked a lot like, as you mentioned, it looked like Patrick Mahomes was in that sort of mode again. He was running around backwards. He was trying to spin around and make things happen and just losing yards on yards in, at, the end, at the end of the game. So uh, it was, yeah, I, I think it's probably a, um, we'll call it a blip for him. Obviously, he's done some amazing things. And even in the first half, those touchdowns that he threw up were, you know, if any other quarterback was able to do that in the game, you'd be pretty happy. But, you know, this is Mahomes. He's, he's held to a higher standard. And, he, yeah, he really didn't meet the standard. I feel like... Once he was heading down in that fourth quarter, trailing by three points, a lot of people probably expected him to go and you know win the game with a touchdown, as he's normally done. Um, but yeah, I, something was just not quite clicking there. Something was not quite right. Whether it's to do with him as a, a player or the overall unit, something just was not in sync there uh, as they headed mm-hmm. down the stretch yesterday. Well, both games finished in three-point margins, and the second one uh, was an absolute thriller as well. Uh, the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, we're looking at Stafford v. Garoppolo here. Uh, and in the end, the 49ers uh, were just uh, guilty of, of giving up an advantage. Uh, it was um, another very good spectacle. And uh, Stafford, and I, I, I was a little bit worried about uh, the Rams, actually. I don't think uh, Sean McVay had his finger on the pulse for much of yesterday. Uh, but Stafford's had a great season. Absolutely. It's been a, I guess, a Cinderella story, hasn't it, for Matthew Stafford getting traded away from the Detroit Lions, who are well done the picking order in the NFL, and going to the LA Rams, who are in a basically win-now mode trying to get a championship. So wonderful to see you know, the emotion on his face. Even they showed in the crowd as his wife was overjoyed uh, for all of the work that they've put in over the last 12, 13 years in the NFL to finally get somewhere and actually succeed is a, is a wonderful story indeed. But it was a funny game, as you mentioned. And uh, the, the 49ers did sort of press ahead and started to look as though they could have, you know, taken the game away from the, the Rams in that third quarter. But uh, credit to the Rams, they they really just shut things down, especially on the running side of things. They, they managed to hold San Francisco and their vaunted running game, which made things tough. And then as we sort of got to the pointy end of the match, they just managed to put enough pressure on Jimmy G, who's normally a bit more, you know, a little bit more calm in those situations. But it just wasn't to be yesterday, and, and the Rams got home and, uh, you know, and, and heading home for the Super Bowl. Well, Mark, uh, Matthew Stafford was uh, simply outstanding under pressure, but uh, he had to find, because he was down on tight ends yesterday, he had to find uh, a receiver consistently. And uh, some of the routes that Cooper Cup ran yesterday... Uh, I won't say it made his job easier, but he gave him a very clear option. It was amazing, really, to me that the 49ers could not shut this guy down. Oh, he is he is absolutely amazing, Cooper Cup. And he's going to be, a, obviously, a key player to try and shut down when it comes to Super Bowl time because the 49ers just couldn't do it. They were unable to keep up in terms of their scheming and personnel. They were just unable to stop 
what he was able to do. And to be honest, he, he nearly, very nearly had another long touchdown pass, which he uncharacteristically mm. dropped, which was very uncooper Cup like. But you know, I guess he still had a pretty good day in, in the sense he got a couple of touchdowns and uh, and helped his team uh, get the win in those crucial moments, getting those crucial plays. Because as you say, without Tyler Higby there at the tight end position. All of a sudden, um, Stafford had to kind of just look a little bit wider and see who he could really trust. And in those big moments, it clearly was Cooper Cup. Quarterback movements uh, are always uh, top on the agenda. Um, Garoppolo, it seems, might have played his last game for the 49ers. Yeah, it's very much a uh, we'll wait and see uh, type of comment from the uh, the Jimmy G camp, uh, which is you know fairly indicative of possibly heading somewhere else or, or probably heading somewhere else. Of course, they picked up a quarterback uh, in the early in the first round of the draft this year in Trey Lance. Now, while he wasn't quite ready to go to, you know, actually play in the um, the playoffs uh, due to injury and, you know, just experience, they are very much looking to try and bring him in and, and make him their guy. Very early to tell as to what, you know, what he can actually do, but... Um, that's their guy. They've picked him, and they're, they're going to back that horse, I would say, from next season onwards. In terms of Jimmy Garoppolo, he basically exits the uh, the 49ers camp with a 70% win rate, which is fairly astounding um, in the NFL. Um, but, yeah, obviously he wasn't able to take them to the, you know, the heights that they really want to get to. A couple of years ago in the Super Bowl, he had a you know, notorious overthrow, which... Uh, cost them the game. Uh, well, you know, it led to uh, them losing the game anyway, and the media got all over him. And then, of course, yesterday, unable to make the big plays in the big moments. So, um, so it'd be interesting to see where Jimmy goes to. Uh, you'd like to think a team with maybe a bit of a, um, a, a circus going on at the quarterback position would be a good spot for him to just go and solidify things. Maybe someone like a Washington football team, just throwing a, an idea out there. But uh, a team like that would probably seem like a good fit for Jimmy. Uh, Jared, uh, Tom Brady update time. What's the latest? Are you are you hearing or suspecting? Uh, is he done? Is he teasing us? Uh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, it's been a uh, a bit of a, a yes no waiting sort of um, deal with Tom. Um, we were bombarded with reports on Sunday of you know his retirement. He's decided to call it quits, and of course, all Twitter lit up like a Christmas tree with players and. In the journalists getting in on the act and just saying what a wonderful career and congratulating Tom and um, and all of that. But uh, the, the official comment that's actually come out of the Tom Brady camp is like he hasn't actually uh, completely made his decision yet. So when he does, he will uh, let everyone know. So uh, I guess the, uh, the, the the corks have been put back on the champagne bottles and um, and put back on ice until uh, another, another date. But um, yeah, very interesting to see how that goes because I was quite surprised um, that he did decide to, to call it a day. Um, more in the sense of the manner in which he went out, because I just didn't feel like that was a Tom Brady-type situation to, to finish on. But obviously, you know, family matters a lot, and he's dedicated, you know, at least well, over half of his life to playing in the NFL. So um, so I guess a lot of things are going on there um, down in Tampa Bay. So, you know, if he does manage to call it quits and decide that he's had enough, then all of a sudden you've got a very interesting situation in the NFC South because he'll be gone as quarterback of the Bucks, and of course Sean Payton has exited as New Orleans Saints coach. So uh, all of a sudden that division becomes far more wide open than it has been for the past couple of seasons. So it is uh, for the AFC, the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. 
against uh, the NFC's LA Rams and uh, Matthew Stafford. Now, on this side of the Tasman, the early market framed here, Jared has uh, the Rams are fairly warm favourites. They're a buck forty-eight. The Bengals are two dollars fifty. Is that how you read it this far out? Look, I think that's probably probably fair. I think, um, and I don't think that's actually a slight on Cincinnati or will bother them because they've gone through this whole process as massive underdogs and they don't see themselves as underdogs, but they're happy for everyone else to you know view them that way. Um, so I, I think that's probably a fair market with the Rams as warm favourites. Um, albeit that, funnily enough, as we get to the Super Bowl being held in LA, uh, the home ground mm. of the Rams, uh, they're actually uh, classed as the away team, which is uh, a little kink in the um, the NFL sort of setup. So, technically, uh, Cincinnati of uh, are the home team in the Super Bowl uh, this time round. Although the the crowd may you know may lead you to think otherwise. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably fair odds for the game as we as we look at it at the moment. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't be writing off these Bengals at all, and and I don't think anyone really should because they are a sneaky sneaky little team, and they will. They've just shown in this playoffs that they can, you know, really creep up on you and, and cause a surprise. Well, I agree, totally agree. And uh, the trend of the last two to three weeks at playoff time uh, has been very much for uh, an underdog team. If they didn't get there, they've put serious pressure on the favourites. Anyway, you're seventy thousand people, just over seventy thousand is the capacity. Um, and this, the, how far out do they decide venues for Super Bowls? Because I mean, this is just an out-and-out fluke, really, isn't it, that the Rams are at home? That's right, and it's been two flukes in a row, because uh, obviously last year with Tampa Bay uh, playing the for the first time playing a home ground uh, Super Bowl, so it's happened two years in a row just by complete chance. They do pick the um, the Super Bowl venue um, ahead of time, like a season ahead of of, uh, of the event itself, just enough time for cities to plan and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, it is a, a, a. I guess lightning has really struck twice. Obviously, it never happened before, and now it's happened twice in two years. So, uh, yeah, I, I think possibly aided by the fact that SoFi Stadium is so brand new, only opened uh, last year, and and you know that that helped things because it's shiny and new and a, a wonderful advertisement for the game. So, um, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how this plays out, and and really. Just what sort of crowd they get there? I'd like to think it would be a heavily uh, LA, you know, favoured sort of crowd. But as we saw yesterday, there was a real, um, you know, it was pretty even bets between 49ers fans and also the Rams. Very interesting indeed. Uh, I think it's a it's a season which has sparked a lot of interest, and I think a lot of uh, people that didn't pay a lot of attention to uh, NFL um, and uh, the Super Bowl are actually it's grabbed them for some reason. Uh, anyway, it certainly has on this side of the Tasman, I can promise you that. Hey, and Jared, uh, you're one of the reasons why, because of your knowledge. So thank you very much uh, for your input. Uh, hopefully uh, we might be able to catch up with you uh, just prior to or just after Super Bowl 56. Really looking forward to it. Uh, and it's, what, only 13 sleeps away for you footy fans. Absolutely. It's been a real honour talking NFL football this year. And just so happens that the uh, the Super Bowl falls on Valentine's Day this year, so... Oh, my God. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, uh, although I'm long past that stuff. At uh, 11.17, Jared, thank you again. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got uh, an opportunity for uh, some more text to be read out. There's, uh, it's been a really busy morning uh, with your impressions on people you love to hate 
Uh, and the odd memory of the uh, old underarm game as well, which was uh, 41 years ago this afternoon. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. It's 26 for none after five overs at Fitzherbert Park and Palmerston North. The Stags are batting first. Uh, Cleaver and Smith at the wicket and Lockie Ferguson has bowled six wides. So it's a good start to the day for Lockie, isn't it? Um, and uh, I understand you can watch it. I think I heard somewhere along the line uh, where you were able to watch it, John. Yep, absolutely. For free on YouTube of all places. So you go to YouTube, put in NZC, which stands for New Zealand Cricket, of course. So just NZC, go to their channel and you can turn it on. I'm watching it right now. Um, shouldn't multitask because uh, anything could happen, Smithy. So maybe I'll just shut my laptop for a second and just concentrate on the show. No, that's cool. Uh, that's uh, given us the opportunity for uh, people to watch it if they would like. Uh, and uh, other texts that have come in, uh, uh, Jeff has come in and said that Alan Houston at fullback for the 15 for the uh, ABs in the 80s. I'm not sure that's because you, you hate him or not, but uh, he had a great series against the box. Uh, Jeff says he was about to beat the legend Don Clark, the boot, his kicking record, uh, and then Houston uh, mysteriously, he says, never really played again. Hmm. I believe to this day that there was some underhand non-selection by the NZRU, making sure that Don Clark's record would be protected. Now, that's uh, an interesting uh, theory, Jeff. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Uh, hi, Smithy. You have, have you got a moment to talk about your relationship with the Chapel Brothers um, just after the underarm game? No, number one for me, remember, sitting in the lounge with my brother and father, we just couldn't believe it. Uh, that's Duncan. Yeah, well, uh, my relationship's always been pretty good, actually. I've, uh, I don't know Trevor Chaffer very well. I only played him against him in that series, and uh, he was obviously the third uh, wheel there amongst uh, Ian, Greg, and, and Trevor, the younger brother. So didn't play a lot of cricket for Australia as such, only encountered him then, very quietly spoken guy, and pretty non-confrontational, and I think just a bit of a victim there. I think it's uh, pretty well understood. Uh, Greg, um, before that, didn't get to know him very well. Uh, played against him uh, quite a lot after that. Um, he was uh, a pretty pretty cool guy, actually, to be fair. He just, had, had, as we said, had a bad day. A brilliant batsman. Um, and, and highly respected, generally, amongst cricketers. More so fans, I think, that held it against him for a longer period of time. So uh, no problem at all. And Ian Chappell, of course, who's um, the elder statesman, uh, top draw commentator, top draw Australian captain, so combative. Um, had a great uh, team with him with Rod Marsh, Lily Thompson, Max Walker, Doug Walters, etc. Hell of a team to captain, but he was regarded as one of the great captains of that era. And these days, of course, has an opinion on most things cricket, uh, particularly involving Australia. So Chapel Brothers, fantastic, really fantastic group of guys. Just ha had an awkward sort of a day, I think it's uh, fair to say. Uh, morning, Smithy. This is from uh, one of our great friends, Stephen Hunt, of course, uh, from... The TAB, um, one of the chief bookies down there. Not sure if this bloke uh, has been mentioned, but Brad Haddon claiming a dismissal when the gloves were in front of the wickets, but more so for that uh, uh, the rubbish and the genuine chit-chat, especially around the World Cup final, particularly with uh, our great mate Grant Elliott, uh, Luke Ronke in particular as well, being a former Australian. Yeah, Brad Haddon is uh, the kind of person that's uh, rubbed uh, a few people up the wrong way. Uh, hi guys, can't stand Lewis Hamilton. Uh, most uh, Australian cricketers, including Steve Waugh, 
courteous and mundane. I thought about Anthony Mundine, actually. Why is it Australians uh, that seem to rile us so much? But uh, cheers, that's uh, from Jared. So uh, another one coming in there. Uh, Smithy, can we have your thoughts on Izzy's Christmas song, Smithy Baby? Well, oh, I liked it. I liked it. Um, I wouldn't say I was going to rush out and buy the CD or anything like that, but uh, and I was pretty good from uh, Israel's point of view. I felt honoured, of course, that he uh, he gave me a couple of minutes of his time, which I thought was uh, the most amazing thing of all. But yep. Did they play it at Turks, Smithy? Was, no, they didn't play it at Turks. There's a waiting. It's, there's a reply waiting in the wings. Don't worry, I've got my uh, oh nice my agents and um, uh, my recording studio working on it, and uh, yeah, uh, it'll it'll be pointed around about. Uh, a little bit later in the year anyway, working on it as we speak. Might even come up with my own music. Uh, I think Jeff has uh, mixed up somehow. Houston went on to break the world record for points in a test versus the Lions in 1983 at Eden Park. So uh, there you go. Uh, Greg Dyer, said Brett. Yeah, well, Greg Dyer, of course, uh, Andrew Jones down the leg side at the MCG once again. That MCG keeps coming up, doesn't it? Uh, so, yeah, there, there's that one as well, John, that uh, tends to rile a few cricket lovers. I uh, don't hate the guy, but used to really grind me, uh, grind my gears, how Owen Franks would never acknowledge the crowd when he got subbed. Even in his last game for the Crusaders, got a standing ovation. He hardly made eye contact with the crowd. Um, that's an interesting one. Well, he didn't, uh, didn't notice that much about uh, Owen Franks. Poor old Owie. Uh, he didn't like the limelight. Uh, not his style. Smithy, of course, never scored a test try in 100 tests plus. Uh, not one to lap up the applause, you know, it's not about him. Uh, but, it, yeah, he's changed. It's quite remarkable uh, how he's uh, now got a business and, you know, he's uh, hocking off that iron back scrum and all of a sudden he wants to talk to everyone and lap up all the praise. So, I don't know, he's turned into an entrepreneur, maybe. Oh, and Frank's turned a leaf. <laughs> well, he's certainly got to make uh, some money out of his new scrum product, uh, I would imagine, uh, along... Um uh, you know, I, I think they've got a good, I've got a really good, uh, Jace Ryan and him have got a great product there, and it'll be interesting to see how it catches on. Um, here's an interesting one, which I, I never even considered. Here's, uh, cheers, Paul. Hi, Smithy, I always had no time for Dame Susan DeVoy. Due to the low profile of the sport in New Zealand, she always seemed to have a massive chip on her shoulder about it. That's, of course, talking about the sport of squash. Wow. It's not one I ever considered at all. So, Dame Susan, I mean, we're going uh, after one of our own? Unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, that was uh, it's a different one. Uh, Michael's coming and said, what are your thoughts on the Women's Cricket World Cup? Well, I'm just praying that it's going to go ahead, Michael, at this point. And on a day-to-day basis, I'm not quite sure that we can expect much more or go much further than that. So that's what I'm hoping for, uh, Michael, and uh, when it gets underway, hope to be in, uh, in some commentary boxes around the country. Um, uh, Darren from Melbourne has said, uh, love the show, keep up the amazing work. My four people in sport are Quade Cooper, Steve Walsh, the rugby referee, he got a, people, a few people wound up, didn't he? David Warner and Leighton Hewitt. Leighton Hewitt, eh? Come on! Come on! That is yeah, annoying. Leighton Hewitt. It isn't. Well, it's time for you to come on and ring 0800 150811. It's time to stump Smithy. That's the number. Light up the lines. 50 bucks worth of TABs, vouchers, and some sleep drops up for grabs. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. 
Here we go again. Stumpings and sleep drops and all sorts have been happening over the last week or so with Stump by Smithy, the quiz where we give away 50 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops daytime revive New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. We're heading to the top of the south, my favourite city in New Zealand and the sunniest, I don't care what they say, when other towns win it. It's always Nelson, isn't it, Jamie? Yeah, you get over it. Yep, he's uh, still hot up here. But, I bet. Uh, bracing ourselves for a bit of rain, so it's down. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does flood as well occasionally, but we don't talk about that. We just talk about the sunny times. Uh, Jamie, we're doing our Mount Rushmore today, actually, on top four sports people that really annoy you, uh, that maybe you hate in a sporting sense. Have you got one that really annoys you? Uh, David Warner and Steve Smith. Oh, it's always Davey and Steve Smith. I mean, and fair enough, too. Fair enough, too. All right, mate, you know how this game works. Three sporting categories. You choose one, get three questions right. You win the prizes, get one wrong, and Smithy just can't wait to stump you. So your sporting categories today are athletics, netball, and winter Olympics. Toughies, which one? Ah, mate. Um, Athletics. Athletics. All right, let's go. No one wants to pick Winter Olympics, which is, I guess, fair enough. Maybe once they get going. All right, question number one. Tom Walsh is a hell of a shot putter, but he's not the best in the world currently. That belongs to a man who beat Randy Barnes's 31-year-old world record last year by throwing 23.37 metres. Who is that man? Oh, wouldn't have a clue. Sorry. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Who's the best shot putter in the world, Smithy? Well, I think his first name's Ryan. Uh, I think he's an American, but uh, uh, the accuracy of his second name has got, and I read something about him yesterday, to be fair. Uh, I'm going to go with Ryan Nofsky. Nofsky, does that sound close? Or One of the name? worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. We've heard from Richie Benno a lot today, haven't we? Um, talking about that underarm mm. incident. incident. Uh, Ryan Krauser is his name. Ryan Krauser, obviously oh. not a household name yet. Did you did you remember that, Jamie? No. No. <laughs> Alright, maybe you have a better go at this one. Question number two, you're still alive. Usain Bolt remains the fastest man to have ever run the 100 metres. What time did he set at the 2009 World Champs? Oh, Jesus. Um, 8.09. 8.09? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I don't think I'll live to see the day where someone runs 8.09, Smithy. What did Usain Bolt run that is still the world record? It's driving a Ferrari, mate. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll, I think 9.86 comes to mind. 9.86. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 9.58 seconds. Almost nine and a half seconds. I don't think anyone's going to beat that. So, we go on to the last question, Jamie, and you are still alive. You've chosen athletics. You got two wrong, but you're still going, mate. And if you get this right, you get the 50 bucks and you get the sleep drops. Anna Grimaldi and Holly Robinson are two Paralympic gold medalists from which New Zealand city? Hamilton. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. All right, Smithy, chance for a stumping into jackpot to tomorrow. Yeah, well, I'd be 
Um, remiss to get this wrong because we've interviewed these, both these delightful two young ladies uh, post the Paralympics. Uh, they're both uh, training partners at times and they train in the glorified city of Dunedin. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. You have been stumped last ball, Jamie. Unlucky. At least Smithy didn't bowl it underarm to you, though. Oh, no, well done, mate. Uh, Smithy, uh, I thought I had you there, but um, <laughs> just the wrong question asked. No, actually, um, I should have got all three of those, to be perfectly honest, but I couldn't remember the first two. But I do remember those uh, two young ladies. They were delightful interviews and uh, wonderful achievers for us as well. So, hey, don't be a stranger, Jamie. Call back uh, any time. We'd love to take you on again. And uh, enjoy that golden weather in Nelson. Some great people, well, I understand, mate. were born there. Great people <laughs> born there. 11.37 here on SENZ. Uh, and when we return, it is Mount Rushmore time. Uh, John Day and I will have our say on the people we love to hate in sport. The Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenge is on now. Register at longestday.org.nz. It's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Well, that is uh, Jimi Hendrix. That is the Star Spangled Banner, the instrumental version of it. And uh, what that signifies to us is that it is time for our Mount Rushmore. Every Tuesday we have a crack at something, and today it's uh, about people that we love to hate, and I mean hate in sport. Uh, and there's been so many, John, that have come in involving Australians. David Warner coming in often. Phil Coons has just come in. Uh, Norma Plummer, Eddie Jones, Michael Checker, uh, Greg Chappell, Steve Smith, David Warner. Uh, Dennis Connors floated in, but predominantly Australians. I haven't got one on the list. I've not got one Australian on the list. I don't know why. I just, right. I just I've probably gone a little. I've probably gone a little bit deeper, way back deeper into it. Uh, in fact, I'll start off. Here's my first one. Now, here's a guy. It's not a sport I like. And in fact, I, sometimes I just can't believe that this guy uh, makes so much money out of people getting kicked in the head and kneed in the head, and they're stupid enough to do it time after time. And he just uh, clips a ticket on the way through. And uh, half of them won't see the light of day for after the age of 40 or 50. But however, here's the thing. Uh, this guy is one guy when he goes in the ring, I would love to see get completely, utterly pummeled on a daily basis. Conor McGregor. TMZ posted a video of an incident that occurred back in April of this past year where you appeared to get into an altercation with another man at a bar in Ireland. Could you tell us your side of that story? What happened there? In reality, it doesn't matter what happened there. I was in the wrong. That man, that man deserved to enjoy his time in the pub without having having it to end the way it did. And, and although five months ago it was, and I tried to make amends, and I made amends back then, it's still the fans don't even. That does not even matter. I, I was in the wrong. Um, I must come here before you and, and take accountability and take responsibility. And Conor McGregor punched an old man in the head, Smithy, and that was him apologising. And how often does he apologise for stupidity? And that's why I love to see him get pummeled. So Conor McGregor's number four for me. Yeah, nah, fair enough. Um, I do have an Aussie on my list. Um, and by association, I guess I've got a Kiwi as well. Hi guys, I'm Israel Folau. And I'm Maria Folau, and we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed to follow Jesus. 
and we're not ashamed to stand for truth. Hey, that's cool. Follow Jesus, stand for truth, that's cool. But don't hate on a whole section of society while you do it. And don't have a... He did a give a little page. That's when it really flipped for me, Smithy. The guy gets paid a million dollars a year, and then he started a give a little page for his court costs while he was taking Australian rugby to court over uh, posting homophobic stuff on social media. So for me, Israel Folau, and by association, Maria Folau, uh, as a couple, I don't have any time for them. I'd give him on that give a little page. I'd give him a toss. That's what I'd give him. All <laughs> uh, right. Number three for me. Number three for me, um, and I, had, I, have, I put a woman in there, but for this incident particularly, absolutely shocked the sporting world, stunned the world when it was revealed what this lady did. I would like to begin by saying how sorry I am about what happened to Nancy Kerrigan. I am embarrassed and ashamed to think that anyone close to me could be involved. I was disappointed not to have the opportunity to compete against Nancy at nationals. I have a great deal of respect for Nancy. My victory at nationals was unfulfilling without the challenge of skating against Nancy. You are kidding, Tonya Harding. You had absolutely nothing to do with that, did you? Absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah, right. Tui Billboard. Tui Billboard. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, me. you got to hate her, but you got to love that three. movie. <laughs> well, that, that for me, that for me is uh, easily number three. Tonya Harding, Ice Dancer. Extraordinary, not extraordinaire. No, no, one of the hated... Absolutely, in America. Um, yeah. Uh, my number three on my Mount Rushmore, I don't know, just this guy rubs me the wrong way in everything that he does, and I don't really like his boxing style either. You've often talked about boxing as entertainment. You came to the ring in, as a, as a gladiator. Uh, a gladiator. <laughs> but do you think this was particularly entertaining? I mean, there were people booing, there were people leaving after the 10th and 11th round. And since you've brought the subject up, I want your response. Well, you know, you always give me a hard time. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't ever give me the credit that I really deserve. You got a you you know shutout. You got a shutout. Yeah, we all give you credit yeah, for that. Yeah, but I appreciate it. But you'll never give me the credit I really deserve. I um, mean, you're, you're good at commentating, so stick to commentating. Let me do the fighting. I'm the best at what I do. That's why I'm with HBO. HBO is my family. HBO is my, HBO is my home. And like I said before, you can learn boxing. Cutting my cap, you can learn boxing from Pretty Boy Floyd. You're just a commentator. Stick to commentating. Yeah, some people just can't handle it. Can't handle getting criticized and Floyd Mayweather, for me, just irks me, Smithy. Every, just seeing his face um, makes me want to punch him, but he's so good that I'd never be able to even get close. But Floyd Mayweather is definitely on my Mount Rushmore for most hated sports people. Floyd Money Mayweather? Floyd Money Mayweather? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I like it. I like this. Um, here's another one uh, that really disappointed me to the point where I disliked him. Uh, because I believed for so long, I absolutely believed for so long while the whole world was trying to pinpoint uh, issues around drugs and sport on this bloke, I stayed because I, his record in, in the Tour de France was just so great. I wanted it to be true. I wanted it stupidly. I wanted it to be true. But this fellow is my number two. Let me down. When it comes to the doping, would you do it again? If you take me back to 1995 when it was completely and totally pervasive, they'd probably do it again. People don't like to hear that. 
But that's the honest answer. Yeah, that's the honest answer. But but it but it it's it's an answer that needs some explanation. And 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 it's I mean I look at everything. You know, when I made that decision, when my teammates made that decision, when the whole peloton made that decision, like let's, we we get it. It was it was an, it was a, a bad decision in an imperfect time, but it happened. I believed, you see, and then he got testicular cancer. I read the book, um, you know, the, the the first book of Lance Armstrong, and I just thought this is amazing. This bloke is just he is just top of the top of the, the tree. I just got to worship him really for what he'd gone through, what he'd achieved. I mean, the hardest bike race in the world to win done it so often and I just wanted to believe 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 John and then we found out that he admitted it and I was crushed so uh, I hated him because of that yeah broke my heart no fair enough um this guy I don't hate um but I just haven't been able to forgive him for 19 years now um and you know he wasn't directly involved in this moment but I blame him for it Spencer again (laughs) intercepted Mortlock going to make hard work of it. Rokotoko's chasing, but he can give up. Mortlock gets the first try. Linked at the field against the runner play. Australia 5-0. And sure, I could hate Carlos Spencer forever or even Sterling Mortlock, but for me, John Mitchell, 2003, All Blacks coach. I'll never forgive him for dropping Christian Cullen putting Leon McDonald at centre, not playing Tana Umanga when he was fit and ready to go for that game. John Mitchell, for me, Smithy, is just a guy who's never apologised for it, and I, I need that apology before I can close the door. So I know a lot of Waikato fans will disagree and say he's one of the great rugby players our country's had, and as a player, I did enjoy him. But as an All Blacks coach, of, never forgive him. Yeah, part of the journey, John. Just part of the journey. <laughs> oh, no, Smithy. No. The J word. Okay. So here's... Here's my number one. Here's my number one. I mean, that, and my one pales into insignificance compared to John Mitchell and the ones that you've had, to be honest. <laughs> but this guy, this guy only uh, having built his reputation up as one of the greatest of all time in his field, uh, had the adoring public uh, around the world, um, and uh, it just could do no wrong. Could do no wrong except for kill two people uh, and get away with it. Uh, and then, of course, um, having got away with it, turns around and holds some people up in a hotel room and then finally goes to jail. It's absolutely nil sympathy. I remember uh, the court case well. I remember the verdict, the day of the verdict. I remember the reaction to it, the astonishment uh, about this whole thing. But if there's a person in the world that you would like to hate because of what they had uh, and what they destroyed along the way, it has to be this bloke. Why do you go on? Because I'm talking to you. And you got me riled up. You got me started on this subject. So if you promise that you will not ask me another question about the case... I will never ask you again. We won't have to talk about it anymore. Just did you do it? (laughs) No, I didn't. Nope. Did not do it. Well, if the glove doesn't fit, it can't be you, O.J. Simpson. It's as simple as that. And uh, it it staggers me. One of the great stories of my lifetime. Yep. Yep. The juice. Terrible, terrible. My number one smithy on Mount Rushmore of sports people I dislike is a Belarusian. Vary Adams coming into the circle for her fifth push. She's got to get going soon. And again, it's just missing. It's not connecting. She's under pressure. 21-31 is needed. 21... No, and it just... 
dribbles over the 20 metre line. So Ostapchuk goes into the circle to have a last put and she is the Olympic champion. The defending champion from 2008 wins silver in 2012. I hate that. Nadia Ostapchuk making Valerie Adams stand on the dais in second position when she was clearly juicing. Clearly a cheat. Um, I just will never forgive Nadia Ostapchuk for stealing that moment away from Valerie Adams Smithy. So for me, number one, Nadia Ostapchuk didn't kill anyone, uh, but certainly took away a moment for Valerie Adams that she should have had in 2012. And that for us was our Mount Rushmore this week. Uh, we've got to take a, a quick break. Thank you very much for your participation. It had some great answers, some very funny ones as well. Uh, it is 11.53 and when we come back, uh, Staffy will be with us just prior to midday and... We'll have to say goodbye to Trudy.